Welcome to Rising Stars, where Miriam Knight, publisher of New Consciousness Review, interviews exciting new voices in the world of progressive and transformational books, films, and ideas who offer intriguing perspectives on life, the universe, and everything in between. Join us as we celebrate the conscious awakening and explore many expressions of consciousness in action. Welcome, everyone. I'm Miriam Knight, your host, and we have a co-host with us today, my business partner, MJ Schwader. Our guest today is Dr. Lauren Olson. He is a medical doctor, a board-certified psychiatrist, in practice for more than 40 years. He's a nationally recognized expert on mature gay men, and he has spoken to groups across the country, appearing on ABC TV's Good Morning America, in addition to giving numerous national, local, and regional media interviews. He is a regular blogger for the Huffington Post and Psychology Today. He lives in Iowa with his partner of 30 years, Doug, who became his husband in 2009 after the Iowa Supreme Court sanctioned same-sex marriage. He was previously married to his wife, Lynn, and he's the proud father of two daughters and a grandfather of six. His book, Finally Out, Letting Go of Living Straight, A Psychiatrist's Own Story, was published in 2011. A revised edition is coming out in April of this year called Finally Out, Letting Go of Living Straight. Dr. Lauren Olson, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Now, I would like to start with the obvious question of why it took you so long to realize that you're gay. Because as both a psychiatrist and a gay man, you have a unique insight, and you gave such a fascinating explanation in your book. Well, thank you. You know, uh, actually trying to figure out the answer to that question was what led to writing the book, uh, mm -hmm. because I uh, wondered myself uh, how I could have missed uh, all those clues for all those years. Um, and I think uh, the uh, technical name for it in psychology terms is a defense mechanism of denial. And denial operates when a person has uh, something that's so contrary to their belief system that they're dealing with that they just simply put it out of their consciousness. And one of the ways that I think it makes sense to understand it is if you look at a child, uh, they believe in Santa Claus uh, fairly easily and then they began to see clues that don't fit and, and yet they want to hang on to that belief because there's good reasons to do so you know there's there's a payoff for that and i think uh... eventually the the facts become so overwhelming that they can no longer deny it and it was much like that for me it was uh, that uh... there were clues as i went along uh... but you know there's a a lot of advantages to being a, a heterosexual male uh... in our society and mm -hmm. and uh, I think uh, it was consistent with my value system to be a married man with children and uh, inconsistent uh, to uh, do anything else. 
the other issue related to that is I grew up in Nebraska. Uh, in I was born in '43, so uh, uh, it was quite a different time in our history as well. And I didn't even know anyone who was openly gay until I was probably in my early 30s. So uh, I didn't have any reference points for people who were living successfully as openly gay men uh, at that time either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. MJ, do you want to hop in? Yeah, I was, <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to hop in there. Hi, Lauren. Uh, um, Hi. I'm actually... I'm actually I, welcome to the program. It's, it's great to, to look Thank at your you. book and, and interview you. Um, uh, to give you a little back, background for me, I actually uh, came out as a lesbian when I was 19. I'm 56 now. Um, and then I came out as a transgender man five years ago when I was 51. And so similar type of a thing, that, and that was easily one of the first questions that, ever, especially in the lesbian community, you know, why did it take you so long to figure that out? And um, some of it was I was just unaware of what it meant to be transgender, even though I was in the lesbian yes. community. And so that's part of it. And then other, otherwise, it was very similar to what you were saying. It's like that... You, you know, it was hard enough coming out as a lesbian. Okay, now I'm going to take that step and go go and, and become. You know, a I, I think what you're saying, uh, MJ. I think what you're saying is uh, related to what I see a lot too, and and that is that it, it, it seems almost like there's an epidemic of people coming out as trans now, but part, I don't think it's really a change in the incidence of uh, people who are transgender, but just an awareness that it's a possibility. And once people begin to see that as a possibility, then a lot of their life begins to make sense, and it fits into to place with uh, the way that they perceive their identity. That's exactly it. And that's in, in that day that I realized that that's exactly the, the first thought I had was, well, this totally answers so many confusing confusing points in my life. So there was that um, instant acceptance of it for me internally. Now, that doesn't mean it was easy to do, but there was an no. internal acceptance. Yes, it's, so. I, th I think it, it has to be much more difficult uh, to make that transition than to come out as someone who's uh, interested in same-sex activity. Uh, I, I can't imagine uh, how difficult that would be. Yeah, and you, you brought a, up a... Um, you, you brought up a, a term that I really liked. It was called sexual purgatory uh -huh. in your book. Um, and that's really a great description of it. It's like, the, you know, what is that? Because in, in any transition, you know, coming out as a transition, whether it's being transgender or lesbian or gay, and so there's that, that period of time where it's just so confusing, even though you know internally it's matching what you're doing. So, so that was uh, an interesting. Can you... Explain that more as a sexual predatory. Purgatory. Uh, I, I think it's, you know, uh, uh, in uh, Roman Catholicism, of course, it's kind of that holding place that people uh, go to before they uh, either go to heaven or hell. And it, and it, I think that uh, is a pretty apt description of what that feeling is like uh, uh, when you're trying to decide what uh, course your life is going to take. And, and so there is that feeling of, you know, am I going to heaven or am I going to hell with this whole uh, decision-making process? 
process that I'm uh, about to enter into. And uh, one of the things that uh, is a principle that comes out of economics is that when we're considering these kinds of decisions, we tend to magnify the negative and minimize the positive. And, uh, you know, that feeling of peace that you were describing, MJ, where, you know, once it all kind of fit into place, there's just this overwhelming sense of peace that comes over you. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's it's impossible, I think, to tell anyone what that feeling is like. You know, you kind of have to experience it to know what mm-hmm. it is. That's very true. Yeah, you were going to say something before I asked that question. Well, uh, yeah, I was going to say that you know I, uh, I had a couple of uh, uh, stories in my life uh, about things that uh, where I had sort of uh, gender variance kinds of questions about myself, and the first one was when I was about nine, and I. Um, uh, went out uh, for Halloween, and I decided I was going to dress as a girl. Uh, and uh, when I, w- you know, when I was doing, you know, the preparation and getting ready to go uh, out, I had no sense of discomfort. But but immediately when I got out into the community, I felt this terrible sense of judgment uh and nobody ever said anything i was not abused or uh, uh criticized for my choice but i just had this overwhelming sense of disapproval that what i was doing was somehow wrong and uh it uh it, but i wasn't i wasn't trying to be a girl which is a whole different thing for someone who's trans you know that that's what you want to be is you want to be someone of the opposite sex um but i was seeing it as a costume but there was a, obviously a social pressure that uh, I picked up on uh, even before I could understand what was going on. The other th- story related to that, which I think uh, in some way parallels it, is when I was young I had a problem with gynecomastia, and uh, that's an, uh, uh, the, the common name for that would be man boobs. And uh, always as a kid I felt extremely self-conscious, and I think it was partly related to this idea that um, the worst thing you could be called when I was a kid was a sissy, and it was sort of like uh, some kind of validation that there was this conflict within me about um, my sexuality in some way or another, and so as a kid, I would never... uh, go without a shirt. Uh, I was just uh, ashamed of those. And even the coach one time uh, called me out in front of uh, the football team and said, Olson, with tits like that, you should be wearing a bra. Well, it was this terrible sense of Mm. shame that I had about my body uh, that felt like it was giving away a secret. And again, I don't want to say that this is the same kind of thing that you have experienced in your transitioning, but it was that, that sort of that somehow uh, when you're faced with this, you live your life trying to censor everything about yourself that might give all that away. And that was something I couldn't censor. And that, and that was another point that you brought up in your book is that whole, um, you know, uh, acceptance from within versus looking for it outside of yourself. That, um, you know, the, like for me, when I came to that realization of being transgender, there was this complete peace inside. Now, through that process of transitioning, 
I also realized, because I've just been finishing my, my own memoir, but I also realized that um, I, I spent a lot of time in my transition doing the same thing of, okay, now I have to appear as a man. Mm-hmm. So it, it, mm-hmm. it came in, you know, there was another level of acceptance that I had to come to myself in order to, you know, feel good about it internally and externally. Um, that the emphasis for, for, uh, for that appearance is so in our brains for some reason, <laughs> no matter who you are. So that, <laughs> it's like, yeah. what? Well, I, 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 not there. <laughs> well, as someone who is straight uh, and struggling to decide what I want to be when I grow up and who I am, I can only imagine the additional uh, burden on the two of you. MJ, do you have a question to kick us back in? Well, when we um, were left, we were talking about that um, inner and outer acceptance. And uh, Lauren, you brought up in your book about moral integrity. Can you go into more about what that means and and both to person who's gay or lesbian or transgender, but also just in, in, in everybody? Yes, I, I think, you know, uh, we have a, uh, a sense of... Uh, uh, who we want to be, and uh, we also have a sense of who we should be. And a lot of times there's inconsistencies in that. And um, particularly early in our life, we're really uh, forced to accept uh, our, our parents' value system uh, in, in most cases. Uh, we do it. And some of us uh, accepted that more easily. In my case, uh, I was a good boy. I did all the right things. I accepted the values that were given to me. And I didn't question too much. Other people rebel against them and, and uh, uh, earlier than I did. Um, but th- there needs to be an integration of uh, that ideal person or that ideal self that we want to be with who we think we are. And when, when those two don't match up, there's a great sense of dissonance that goes on. Uh, and that dissonance leads to anxiety and often depression. And, and uh, when we see uh, people people who are considering coming out, uh, oftentimes uh, they begin to think about suicide as a way of dealing with it. You know, if we look at uh, coming out, uh, the, the uh, men and women who come out as gay have a suicide rate that's three times the rate of uh, the general population. It's nine times the rate for people uh, who are transgender. So it, it, it's sometimes been called a predicament suicide. Uh, uh, and uh, there's a, a psychiatrist in Australia who's described it uh, as being a, a situation where a person is really generally free of any mental disorder, uh, and yet uh, is faced with a pre- predicament uh, that seems to have no possible solution. And I'm sure uh, um, uh, many of us have been faced with different kinds of predicaments. But for me, that I never really seriously thought about suicide. But I, I remember. When I was uh, uh, about uh, late 30s, when I was uh, dealing with all this, thinking, "What is the way out of this? I don't see a way out of this." Uh, you know, and a part of me wanted my wife to have a problem so that I could walk out and, and justify my decision to leave without accepting the responsibility for it. Um, but there's uh, what we need to do is uh, to begin to integrate 
the person that we want to be with who we think we are and do that in a positive way. And that that therein lies the the where you need the support around you because you know Absolutely. it's very very lonely to come to that on your own. I know that from my own experience. That's that was a big part of it. And interestingly, throughout my life, I did have depression. I just also had a lot of uh, physical issues going on with pain. So I was, mm-hmm. oh, it must be that. It must be that. Until I actually you know, finally came to my truth because I, I thought I was with my truth when I came out as a lesbian. But there was still something even deeper that I wasn't aware of. And you mentioned that too, that, you know, we bury it a lot of times in our unconscious, but it's buried there in our unconscious before something kind of awakens that. Um, yes. Now, the other thing too that was in- interesting about your book is that, um, you know, you, you came out later in life in, after your 40s. Was it in your 40s? Was it? I was uh, right out 40 when I left home. I, you know, the process, of course, was going on for a while before that. Uh, w- what happened was that there was a, a, a time in my marriage when things weren't real solid between my wife and I. And uh, I first introduced the idea of maybe maybe I'll have an affair. You know, maybe that will somehow uh, give me uh, some sense of uh, something that I'm missing right now because uh, we just weren't seeming to be able to fix what was going on between us. And once I accepted that step, then what happened was uh, I ended up having an affair with a man. You know, I uh, I met a guy at the gym. Uh, he was married. Uh, I was married. And I kind of thought, well, what could possibly go wrong? You know, <laughs> and of course, everything went wrong with that. Uh, uh, and uh, because I ended up falling in love with him. And then what happened is I had to confront how I could possibly now uh, put what I, what's happening to me in perspective. And for initially, I thought, well, perhaps I'm bisexual. And 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 then uh, as things went on, I def- decided that I was really more comfortable being gay. And I then at that point had to really uh, get honest with myself and and uh, create that authenticity that we were talking about before, and bringing who I am with uh, uh, in line with who I think I want to be and who I am. Could you explain you feel like- for our listeners the difference between uh, gay and bisexual? Well, that's an area that has gotten me into some trouble sometimes. <laughs> you know, I think uh, uh, the the problem, as I see it, with uh, talking about bisexuality is that you know our sexuality is based on sexual fantasy, uh, sexual attraction, uh, sexual behavior, and sexual identity. And in my mind, uh, the uh, a person is gay, bisexual, or straight, determined by their identity. And for example, a person can have same-sex attraction and same-sex fantasy, but behave only in a heterosexual way. And there are many men who do that. I don't know numbers about women, but the numbers of men who define themselves as heterosexual but have sex exclusively with men are quite high, particularly in some communities. So that's where the confusion comes in. And and so my own preference is uh, that we define ourselves. Uh, we attach the label. And so for me, being gay is more comfortable uh, because I see myself as 
only functioning uh, with the same sex partner. Um, bisexuality uh, is uh, is uh, someone who can be comfortable with either sex in a relationship, uh, and. Uh, I think that the bisexual community right now is going through a strong transition and trying to advocate for themselves and to, you know, a lot of times in the LGBT, the B and the T guy have kind of been overlooked and left out. And the bisexual community is really trying to develop a strong identity for themselves within that uh, community. Um, but I guess just uh, to reiterate that uh, my belief is that uh, we get into trouble when we try to define other people. Uh, and uh, if we say that somebody is bisexual, and, and they may perceive themselves totally different. Uh, and, you know, uh, uh, that creates a lot of problems, not just in terms of sexuality, but anytime we try to define another group, we tend to define them incorrectly based on our own internal stereotypes and, and uh, prejudices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that definitely, you know, there's been a, a big thing in the lesbian community about, oh, if you're, you know, having, if you're a straight woman having a, a, a relationship with a lesbian, then you must not be straight, you must not be heterosexual, you must be bisexual. Um, and that is, like you say in the book, you know, that is kind of sometimes where people identify themselves as in their own coming to that realization of whether they are actually gay or lesbian or they're really heterosexual and just having a, a fling or whatever it is they're they're having. So yeah, that's it, what it I, is very. That's what I thought I was doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and there's no, there's no, there's no bi trans transgender, or I probably would have done the same thing going through that. But, um, you know, um, but it's, it's well, you bring up an interesting things, point, though. Uh, MJ, and that is that you know that just be uh, that transgenders can be. Uh, uh, gay, straight, um, bisexual—you know—that the, the our gender and our sexual orientation are not at all consistent. So, one of the things that I hear frequently is that uh, confusion about someone who has made the transition from uh, uh, male to female or the uh, reverse, and then uh, at that point, after they have transitioned, has an attraction to someone of the same sex. And then it's kind of like, why did you bother? You know, if you're going to be interested in a woman. <laughs> Why would you trans, uh, change your sexual uh, or your gender identity to being a woman too? You know, uh, there's a lot of confusion that comes up around that topic. Truly, and even in the bathroom hole, the whole bathroom debate that's going on, which is so ironic because that was one of the worst things that ever happened to me when I was um, a lesbian was going into a female bathroom because um, I was always called sir. I was. <laughs> you know, look like a man. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, I can't win. I'm transgender. Still in the bathroom. Um, but, uh, you know, there's no, uh, it, and that that is a big surprise for a lot of people. It was for me even when I started to transition was that your sexual prep, um, your sexual per- preferences are different than your gender orientation. So it's, it's exactly. so, Yeah. 
so anyway, it, it's very, um, <clears throat> very interesting. I think, I think one of the things that I um, actually appreciated was I, somebody just asked me a couple of days ago whether I would have transitioned earlier in my life had I known. And I, of course I would have. It would have been a totally different experience. And that's one of the things that your book really um, goes into is coming out as gay later in life. You know, what is that in, and how different that is compared to earlier? Um, for a lot of reasons, there's a lot of difference. Can you um, talk about that just a little bit, about that? Well, I think, um, you know, for me, a lot of it had to do with uh, well, professionally and socially, but particularly in terms of um, uh, being a father and committed in a marriage. And, and you know, there were so many things uh, related that... Uh, to coming out that I was going to have to, at least I thought I was going to have to give up. And uh, so there are so many decisions uh, that relate to sacrificing all those relationships were, which were based on a phony reality, but at the same time uh, they were that, that was there. And I, uh, I think the, the thing that I feared most was, uh, and I've heard this from so many other men who've come out later in life, is, you know, most of us, or at least most that I know, are very committed fathers. Uh, and uh, our relationship with our children uh, was very important. And many of us have been sort of more engaged in raising our kids than many heterosexual men. Uh, but my, uh, I lost my father when I was very young. And so I always wanted to be the, the best father I could possibly be. And so that decision of uh, sort of betraying myself and giving up uh, what I had idealized as uh, uh, the, the father that I never had, being that kind of person, uh, was a painful, painful process for me. Uh, and I think that there are other things, you know, professionally I'd established myself as a heterosexual male and, and, and all those things, but they did, they all paled in comparison to that uh, uh, giving up um, or feeling like I was going to give up my relationship with my children. I wanted to refer to something you said in your introduction where you were holding off or resisting going to school on the, uh, I think it was in New York on the East Coast, because you instinctively uh, felt that perhaps a an urban environment would be more um, enticing to what you were trying to suppress. Both you and MJ grew up in the sort of rural heartland, the conservative heartland of the country. Do you think your experience might have been very different if you had been on either coast? I, I think so, Miriam. Uh, it, it's it's hard to to know that, but you know there were several times when I sort of made a step in that direction and then pulled back. Uh, and one of those exactly was that I was beginning to look for places to go after medical school to practice, and I uh, considered uh, New York, Chicago, St. Louis, and. and uh, 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 New Orleans, you know, uh, certainly not the heart of uh, uh, the Bible, Bible Belt in, in the terms of uh, conservative uh, religious beliefs. But uh, 
and I think uh, it was all operating outside of my awareness. I had no idea. But uh, even when I was in high school, I, I, I didn't like the fact that I was in a very, very small school, and I didn't have the opportunity to study uh, uh, English literature and, and drama and participate in those kinds of things which were different. There was a very narrow focus. And uh, I, when I went to the university, I uh, uh, was going to go and audition for plays, but I pulled back from that as well. And, you know, all those things which were things which might have taken me into uh, the arena of a, a, a more uh, diverse community. And I, um, when I was in medical school, uh, we had a uh, class reunion a few years ago, and I came out to some of my classmates who were there, and I said, you know, when we were in Omaha in medical school, were there any gay bars? None of us n knew. And, of course, now I know that there were indeed, but at that time, which would have been in the uh, mid-60s, uh, if we had gone to a gay bar and been caught there, we would have been thrown out of medical school. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, that was the reality of the time that we lived in, that we would have been considered pathologic and deviant and therefore not suitable to be physicians. So there were not only my internal conflict about this, but there was a great deal of uh, social pressure to conform to uh, the role. And, of course, in the 50s when I was uh, uh, growing up, that was the time of the Mark McCarthy hearings. And even though I wasn't really aware of all that, that was going on, but certainly my parents were, and the community was aware of the purging of the government of uh, communists and homosexuals because uh, of fears uh, that they were going to undermine the government. And so I, I know that those things were happening, uh, and, I, and when I began to write the book, I went back, and one of the things I wanted to do was say, you know, what was my life really like growing up, and, and what were the, some of the reasons externally that were pushing me in this direction. I didn't uh, want to think that it was uh, uh, just my stupidity that led to not being able to figure this out. But uh, there were a lot of uh, uh, social pressures to conform. And if there was ever any discussion of homosexuality, I never heard it, you know. The only word I knew when I was a, in a kid was hermaphrodite, you know. And, that was, uh, and of course, as a kid, you look up de definitions in the dictionary <laughs> of sexuality because you try and explain Lord, and that was the only thing I'd ever read. Um, but a long answer to your question, but yes, I think had I um, made that step, uh, it might have been different. Um, when uh, uh, just before uh, I was about to get married, I actually went to St. Louis with my brother. And I uh, went into an antique store, and he was in a wheelchair, so he couldn't go in. And uh, there was a young, very attractive young man who was uh, managing the, the um, uh, store, and he came over and talked to me for a while. And um, he had his thumb in his pocket, you know, and all of a sudden he kind of fanned out his fingers over my crotch. And my initial response was, how clumsy of him, you know. Uh, I, I had no clue uh, what was going on. And, and, and then I, I walked away, and, and he came and talked to me again. He said, you know, we're having a party tonight. Maybe you should come. And he touched me again, and I still didn't quite get it. And then finally the third time it happened, I was like, oh, my God, you know. Uh, and, uh, and, of course, my reaction was to blame him for the whole thing. Um, but now with a different set of eyes, I can see that 
there were clues that I was probably giving off all along uh, about my same-sex interests that I wasn't recognizing. I mean, that was a particularly uh, uh, dramatic experience with that, but uh, there were other times when similar kinds of things happened when I just would not uh, let uh, that my own personal responsibility in that uh, come to the surface. And I was I was very angry, and it was, I was about to be married when this happened, and and it was uh, uh, really quite overwhelming at the time. Mm-hmm. I have to say too, I know I, yeah, I, I was um, I grew up in South Dakota, just up the road from you, and um, I was I came I had the realization that I was something was not right, but like you said, we never nobody ever talked about it. There was not a Nobody ever, that I knew was gay or lesbian. Um, I never heard the word homo, uh, homosexual until I was maybe 11 or 12 years old. You know, so there was this, um, but there was this internal sense. And I think that, and that was the question I was going to ask you before the break. You know, there's an internal sense all along that something wasn't adding up, that something wasn't right, even even without language around it, and to the point of it was not to be talked about there was both Mm -hmm. that internal conflict but there was an external uh, feeling of not being safe if i talked about this no matter what um you know when i was 11 i finally you know came home from a football game one night when you know my best friend my best girlfriend uh, my brother wanted to date her (laughs) and i remember thinking well i want to do that you know, and, and why can he do that? And I can't do that. And I get out of the car and I'm like, well, what's going on? You know, I must be really different. But I knew enough not to talk about it, too. I knew it wasn't safe to do that. You know, so and, and the same with being a boy. You know, I asked my mom, I remember many times when I was three or four or five years old saying, why, you know, why isn't my penis going to grow? <laughs> you know, so, you know I, I'm a boy. Why isn't this happening? You know, um, so you could, <laughs> truly, I mean, I, I remember very clearly several times saying that I didn't even know what a penis was. I just, what, you know, I want one of those things my brother has. Um, you know, it was important, but I didn't know why. <laughs> and so, um, I had penis envy, but it was a different kind of penis envy. Um, so, but yeah, we had that, you know, that, but I always knew from that very early age that I also had a sense that I wasn't going to be able to stay there, that somehow yeah. I was, I was going to have to find myself somewhere else, find other people like me too, but really find myself somewhere else. And that was a question I had for you, you know, because you came out later in life, um, do you feel like that might be an easier thing to do or was it? In terms of just your not not the external but the internal part of you, the spiritual part of you, um, because of your life experience, do you feel that for yourself? And would that be um, um, something that's kind you know, of in, I, I, in a lot? I think you brought up a really interesting point, MJ, when you talked about, you know, we didn't have the words to describe what was going on. Uh, and that was definitely the case for me. That, you know, there was this 
vague sense of, and we talk about it a lot, uh, a sense of difference. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, uh, and also just uh, you know that you shouldn't talk about it. And uh, and that isolation, of course, is what uh, uh, gets many of us, and, and it, it becomes a real problem. And, and even though I didn't know that I was looking for other people like me, I, I thought initially I thought that I was probably the only one uh, who was like this, and of course you don't know that because you don't validate it with anybody else. Um, but there was always a sense that you know there is a, another world out there that I want to be a part of, but I don't really know what it is yet. And I think that was partly what was driving me to do that. Um, and uh, initially, I, uh, when I uh, took my first steps into same-sex activity, uh, actually, you know, the first time I had sex with a man uh, happened in New York City, and it was with somebody who was very stereotypically gay. And so I, you know, I had it all figured out. It was it was not a good experience for me, and it, it, uh, it um, you know, it, it was. Uh, it, uh, I don't know how to say it in any other way, except it was less satisfying than masturbating in many ways. It was, uh, I was with somebody that I wasn't really particularly attracted to. Um, there was no sense of really emotionally connecting with him in any way. Uh, and then there was just all this shame and guilt that went along with it. So that experience, that first adult same-sex experience, tended to validate the fact that I wasn't really gay, you know, because it was not not what I had uh, expected at all. And so I, I didn't uh, do anything more and, uh, uh, other than just sort of a, a curiosity, a voyeuristic kind of uh, uh, some porn and, and, and uh, magazines, more magazines and stuff at that time. But uh, I uh, really didn't... Uh, uh, feel comfortable, uh, and I was kind of surprised. It was a little bit like um, when I was 40 and had come out. I went to um, uh, Halloween. I, I thought I had to dress up uh, uh, as a woman, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> just because that's what gay people did, you know, on Halloween. And and I um, went to the Salvation Army and got a, a dress, and I got a wig, and you got the fingernails and everything, uh, and. I put it, put all this stuff on. I look in the mirror. I look just like my mother. Welcome to the club. This is not the look I was going for, you know. <laughs> and you know, it, it was one of those things where you know, uh, the whole night my fingernails kept falling off. You know, I, I couldn't get into <laughs> to my panties okay. to get my out to pee. You know. <laughs> Well, on that note, <laughs> on that note, we're going to have to go to break. You know, as you were speaking about coming out, I was thinking that there are a lot of parallels between people who are coming out as intuitives of one form or another, psychics. Uh, MJ, you have a double whammy, <laughs> being both <laughs> intuitive and gay or trans, and um this this seems to be in the air, in the consciousness. There's a conscious awakening about who we really are. There's a conscious seeking to know who we really are. And do you think this is just kind of pushing against the, the barriers that surround us, seeking a new kind of spiritual and emotional freedom? 
you know, my my tra- my uh, training course has been uh, very traditional, uh, at, but at the same time, uh, you, you know. Uh, when we talk about things like empathy, which is, I think, a big part of the healing in psychiatry, is uh, there are uh, things which allow us uh, to connect with other people, uh, uh, to sense what's going on, and and so, um, I, I, you know, I, I think many of the things that you talk about uh, are probably very consistent with the ways that I see. But we are using different labels to describe some of the same phenomenon. And MJ, what do you think? Well, you know, it's interesting because actually my book is is about that topic, Miriam. You know, the um, I think the journey, and this is, I think, where personally for me, having transitioned at this point in my life, I see it a lot differently. Uh, I see my life a lot differently. You know, looking back and I say, okay, there's, there were breadcrumbs along the way all the time that led me on this journey to finding myself. Now, it's not, I mean, it's a journey we all take in our lives. Mine happens to be because I'm transgender and I went through all these things with, with that and being lesbian. Um, but we all have that journey of, of really coming to um, that moral integrity that I, that I asked Lauren about earlier, um, that you, you know, we... We are so, in particular in this society, we are so tuned into appearances. I mean, it's, it's in everything we do is how do we appear? And so if that appearance, whatever that appearance is, whether it's sexual or gender or anything else in your life, doesn't match up, then you, that's where the conflicts are and that's where you can get off track. Whether it's, you know, okay, I'm going to go attempt suicide or I'm going to lie to people or, you know, you start to make choices based on the fact that you have to hide this. And then that hiding and that not being in alignment with yourself, um, your world, you know, if you go back to the law of attraction, for example, you know, if you're lying to yourself, even if you don't know that, what are you creating in the external by that energy? So there's that piece of it. And so, you know, getting back to your question, Miriam, about being an intuitive and coming out, I think being it, I think part of me searching um, and finding shamanism, which is what I ended up studying, um, uh, studying channeling and studying mediumship and things like that, uh, it's almost like what came first, the chicken or the egg, is did I enhance my intuitive abilities because of my journey or did the intuition set me on that journey or both? And so, um, and I and I explore that a lot in the book in my memoir because um, it just seems like there were things along the way that always pointed me in this direction. I just wasn't paying attention. Mm-hmm. So if I wasn't paying attention to that, what else wasn't I paying attention to? And so it. it I think um, one of the things. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No. Go for uh, it. Uh, one of the one of the things that uh, I've been interested uh, in as I've as I've gotten older is. Uh, uh, the what I've talked about is the opportunities of aging, uh, and one of the things that makes it easier uh, as we get older is we do care a lot less about what other people think, or most of us do. And there's a sense that uh, you know we don't have enough time left to be worried too much about what other people think. I'm, I'll be 74 this month, and, and you know I'm not going to waste my time trying to impress other people at this point. You know, uh, I. Uh, uh, I'm going to be who I am, and you deal with it or you don't deal with it. Um, but 
I'm not going to try and change my life to uh, satisfy other people uh, in, mm-hmm. in any way. And I, I spent a lot of my early life uh, doing that. And I, I felt like uh, if I made too many sacrifices, that wasn't one of those uh, that I made. Um, but I do think there's there's uh, uh, a lot of people who don't understand psychiatry and, and mental health uh, seem to not have the capacity to uh, resonate emotionally with other people, uh, and I, you know that. Of course, uh, we could talk about that in terms of our politics right now. But uh, I think you know you may <laughs> describe it in terms of energy levels, and I might describe it in terms of empathy or, or compassion. But I think uh, those are some of the things that uh, we share in common. Mm-hmm. What would you say has been the greatest? help to you in um, coming, creating your new life, and what advice would you give to others who are struggling at this stage in their life? Well, I think uh, um, the most important thing is something that uh, MJ referred to uh, earlier in talking about finding a world where you're accepted. Uh, you know, shame doesn't survive in a world where you feel accepted by other people. And so much of the time, uh, as we have gone through the struggle, we felt so isolated and alone, and maybe like we're the only other person, or we don't know who to, uh, whom to reach out to, or, or, uh, or we're too ashamed to, to, to talk with someone else about it. But I think the critical first step is coming to some sense of peace within yourself, and then finding at least one other person that you can sort of share this with, that you, you know, trust will uh, accept your story, even though they might not understand it, and then uh, to begin to broaden that community. Um, when I um, first began to, to come out, I went to a support group for gay fathers, and um, it was a pretty profound experience for me because I walked into this group of men who were a very diverse group of men, uh, but there was a sense of peace immediately uh, that uh, that I was accepted uh, and that you know whatever differences we might have in terms of what we were interested in or our lives or our ages or whatever it was that we were different about, we all had some uh, sense of being accepted. And that was... Uh, uh, probably one of the most important steps that I took. Uh, it really made me feel normal. And one of the things that I uh, talk about sometimes is that when I was living a life where I thought I was heterosexual, I never felt like I had a great sense of intimacy with other men. And a lot of it had to do with what MJ was talking about before, that you censor everything, you, you hold back, you don't disclose yourself. And so there was always kind of this barrier in connecting with other men. Even though I shared a lot of their interests, it was as if I had to isolate myself. Uh, and uh, once I got past that, um, uh, I feel... After having come out, I have much better relationships with other men uh, and feel much more comfortable in, in uh, uh, sharing myself uh, uh, in ways that I never did. And a lot of that loneliness, I think, disappeared because it was self-imposed. I was making myself isolated because uh, I didn't want to give away a secret that I didn't even know I had. Mm-hmm. 
for me, it was, it was it, the irony. There's several ironies that happened. One was that I actually had less acceptance in the lesbian community, um, which is ironic to me because you know they're looking for acceptance of being lesbian. But they, many in my age group, younger, it's different. But in my age group, a lot of lesbians um, left my life. They were like, okay, that's I'm not comfortable with that. And so that was a fascinating thing. Um, there is a, a group, I'm, I live in Portland, Oregon, so there, um, a large, there's a large population of transgender individuals here. And so there are support groups, et cetera, for me to, to um, meet other people. But it's been a very lonely process. And some of that is also because after having been a lesbian for 40 years and now being transgender, I was never in the heterosexual world. So now I've lost the lesbian world. And so now there's that other loneliness of just being, okay. And, and, you know, going through a process like this is going to have a lot of grief. So that's another reason why a lot of people don't step in and, and you know, come out and, or transition, et cetera, is because there's a lot of loss, you know. Um, there is a lot. If you, if you, it's a tremendous amount of loss, not just loneliness, but then you're also dealing with the grief of that loss. And so um, that's been a big part. Another part for me was I, you know, I would I, I lived in the sisterhood for 50 years now, and I never was in the brotherhood. <laughs> so there's that long. <laughs> there's a lot of different layers of it. You know, it's like okay, where? Yeah. Who am I? Yeah. And it, it just, um, you know, and I think that's again where my life experience has has served me, because I have had grief in the past, and I have, you know, gone through periods of loneliness, etc. So. You know, I understand that better, and I was able to get through it because I had that acceptance of internal acceptance of myself. So that was. One of the things and that was, was your spirituality a help? Oh, absolutely! It was essential. As soon as you know, the more I knew about myself, which I think you know, spirituality to me is my own spirit. You know, I thought for many years I was chasing spirit, spirituality, and religion, or belief systems, or whatever. And what being transgender has shown me very clearly is I was chasing after my own spirit. You know, I was just always looking for that piece that was missing that I didn't understand was there all the time. All the time, it just hadn't recognized it. It's the, uh, and that's the such a is. universal quest, absolutely. And I want to it give is. Dr. Olson the last word. Sure. Or that um, time. Well. <clears throat> <laughs> is it already? Uh, it's gone by quickly. Um, I just uh, uh, think that uh, I've I found a lot of joy in getting older, you know. Uh, <laughs> and uh, mm -hmm. I, uh, I think you know, one of the things that we uh, uh, is that pain is going to enter all of our lives in some ways, like the ways that you were talking about, MJ. And, but we're all going to experience that. But, you know, suffering is uh, not an obligation. You know, we, we, mm -hmm. if we, uh, it depends on how we deal with that suffering uh, that, and that pain and loss uh, that makes the difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that seems to be it for today. Um, we could go on for, for a long time. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Dr. Lauren Olson, for being with us today. And do get his book coming out April 1st called Finally Out, Letting Go of Living Straight. 
I'm Miriam Knight and MJ Schwader for New Consciousness Review and Happy Guy. Come join us next week. And in the meantime, have a wonderful week. Many blessings. Goodbye.